and I think the Knicks are really made a, a, a concerted effort to say, hey, enough of spending money unnecessarily on free agents and really trying to hope that we can catch lightning in the bottle. I think that we will see this season, perhaps you might not even see Kristaps Porzingis, and I think rightfully so. That was Gerald Brown of Sirius XM NBA Radio of the Bottom Line Sports Show, and this is the J Reels Podcast. My good people, how are we feeling? Are you excited? Are you ready for another NBA season? Tired of all the NFL talk, college football, the Major League Baseball playoffs, as well as the NHL? Well, you've come to the right place as it's going to be wall-to-wall basketball here on this edition of the J Reels Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, J Reels. The 2018-19 NBA season is about to raise its curtain later this evening where the first game, the Boston Celtics will host the Philadelphia 76ers in a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference semifinals with the nightcap being the Golden State Warriors raising another banner to the rafters up in the Oracle Arena, which will be the last year of the Oracle Arena before they move across to the other side of the bay to play their games in the brand new spanking Chase Center in San Francisco next year. But first things first, the Oklahoma City Thunder comes to town as the Warriors will try to do what the 2000 to 2002 LA Lakers did was three-peat, the last NBA team to do so, and the Warriors will have that to gun for this upcoming season. Glad to have you with us here if this is your first time tuning in and wondering who is Jay Reels and trying to get an idea of what kind of sports I talk about. Well, you've come to a special NBA edition. If you missed the episode 33, which was published yesterday and on the website at jreels.com or anywhere you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, please feel free to download that as we uncover NFL Week 6, the Jets' big win, the Giants' huge loss, go around the league, the MLB playoffs as we put a ribbon on the Yankees' 2018 season, of course the ALCS, NLCS, NHL, a wild, wacky weekend in college football, all that is covered, so please, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go ahead and do so or go back into the archives to some of my old guests that I had, in particular Kenny Anderson and Tony Delk, former NBA players, which were great interviews, so please feel free to pop on over there and give that a download and listen, but all the attention is going to be focused on the hardwood, and my guest for this program is Gerald Brown, he of Sirius XM NBA Radio, hosting the Bottom Line Sports Show every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, chock full of NBA talk, wall-to-wall, please give him a listen, I've known Gerald for almost 10 years, I believe. Going back to my blog talk radio days, which we discussed a little bit. He's also got a podcast called In the Key with BJ Armstrong, the former NBA player. Of course, Chicago Bull. Now he's a power agent for a lot of uh, NBA players out there. And pretty much what we do is we just chop it up about the upcoming season. Interesting storylines, the Knicks and the Nets, how they're going to fare this year. Is Brooklyn a destination for players to go in the future? That remains to be seen, but we uncover all of that as well as go through the East, the West, who the NBA finalists will be, and who will be crowned champion at the end of this season, which will be in June of 2019. So Gerald will join me in just a few minutes, but before we get to that, afterwards, I'll give you a little rundown of what I feel, my predictions, NBA over-unders, which looking through the list is going to be pretty tricky. Uh, A lot of them, it looks like they're pretty much at the number. There isn't one team that's either too high or too low from based on what I've had a chance to see. So this is going to be a crapshoot, but I'll give it my best. Obviously NBA finals predictions, 
who's going to win, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to hear that, all that at the end of the podcast that I have here with uh, Gerald Brown coming up in a matter of moments. And you know what? With that being said, let's just jump right to it. Enough of me babbling. My conversation with Gerald Brown, Sirius XM, NBA Radio, and the Bottom Line Sports Show. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, long time coming. Obviously, uh, you and I go way back from the days of Block Talk Radio, which we'll get into later on. But uh, for those out there who don't know who you are, please give us a little background as far as uh, where you've been, where you've gone, and uh, what you're doing in this day and age as far as uh, sports talk and media and things of that nature. Well, I have a show for about the last eight years going on nine with Sirius XM NBA Radio called The Bottom Line Sports Show. I also started out on Blog Talk Radio where I got an opportunity to meet quality people and such professionals as yourself um, and also did some work with ESPN New York, 98.7, and also dabbling in the uh, podcast world now with my buddy, former Chicago Bull, uh, B.J. Armstrong. Yes, and I definitely want to talk about the podcast as well. Obviously, uh, Sirius XM and what that's uh, done for you and uh, your career. But uh, we're going to kick us off with some uh, NBA. And before we get to the locals, Knicks and Nets, uh, curious to find out what do you think are the uh, top storylines coming into this 2018-2019 uh, NBA season? Well, I think that, you know, it, it, what has to be up at the, the forefront, it kind of seems like, you know what, um, at this stage of the offseason, or if you will, the preseason, you would know pretty much the uh, storylines. But I think the biggest one that's continuing to evolve each and every single passing day is the whole Jimmy Butler uh, situation in Minnesota and seeing how that is evolving. You know, after that, it's obviously the whole situation with Kawhi Leonard. What is he going to do in Toronto? Uh, what the opportunities they may have. Uh, you look out at L.A., you know, obviously with LeBron James joining the Lakers, how much better will the Lakers be with him? And then, you know, for for argument's sake, you have to throw in the Eastern Conference. You know, Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving comes back, you know, you know, is it Boston and everyone else, or is it a situation where it's Toronto, Philadelphia? And then you go back west, you know, what what is going to become of the San Antonio Spurs? You know, are they sort of the dark horse that's kind of lying in the wind? And then you obviously have, you know, the Golden State Warriors, Ho-Hum, another year, another uh, mega franchise player, all-star that they add to their roster, and uh, as well as the Houston Rockets. You know, was last year a one-hit wonder, or are they perennial threat to the um, the Golden State Warriors? No, and then the funny thing is you mentioned all that, and then last but not least would be the Golden State Warriors because they're going to shoot for something that no team has done since the 0-0 to 0-2 Lakers has won three straight NBA titles. And with Boogie Cousins in the mix, although he's not going to come back till probably January at the earliest, you know, to me that's one of the top storylines to see if that team – and as we all know, and I think about this, they actually should have won four straight NBA finals considering they were up 3-1 against LeBron and Cleveland uh, back in 2016. But be that as it may, now here we are on the cusp of another season going for a three-peat. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the league is going to be looking at to see if they're going to be able to pull that achievement off, something like the Lakers did back, uh, what is it, 16, 18 years ago. Yeah, I think that would be the sort of thing. But um, it would be really interesting to see how much – they will manage the season, and that being Steve Kerr, along with a very veteran-laden veteran group, 
you know, it's really no sense of urgency with them. I think that obviously we can all pencil them in as a uh, team that will make the playoffs. But you want to make sure you keep guys fresh. You want to make sure guys are staying healthy as possible. And I think that one thing about the dynamic that the Golden State Warriors present is think about it. They came off of, you know, winning an uh, NBA championship and then go on and set the uh, the, the all-time record for wins in a season by 70, uh, winning 73 games mm-hmm. after playing late into June and then and, and, and being effective that way. So I think it would be really interesting to see how exactly they will come out the uh, to start the season. It would be really interesting to see how they do that. And then will they hit those sort of, um, you know, moments in this season where they start to utilize their bench a little bit more and perhaps try to rest some of the all-stars that they have on that team. Right, and they open up the season there on Tuesday between uh, OKC and Golden State as they raise another banner, another ring ceremony. Uh, that's the second game with the first game being Philadelphia and Boston. And to go back to the East, and before we even get to Philly, Boston, and some of the threats that will come out of there, of course we have to talk about the Knicks and Nets. We'll start off with the Knicks considering they're the – of course, they're the Knicks. You know, the Nets, there's, what, 20 Net fans probably in the tri-state area. No offense to those out there who follow the Nets. But what do you think with Porzingis being out? Obviously, the new coach, David Fisdale, they're looking to build that culture that they haven't had in God knows how long. How do you think, even without Porzingis here at the start, how do you think this team will do not only from the start, but hopefully when he comes back into the mix, him being healthy, what do you think that means moving forward? Well, let me ask you this, Jason. Are you a Knicks fan? I am not. Okay, well then I'll say this because I'm not gonna hold. I'm gonna hold it against you. You're a Mets fan, and I know you went through a long suffering. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just going to let you know that if that was your Knicks fan, the you know the the handwriting's on the wall, and I think that it's one of these things that we're going to see more teams sort of openly do this, which is really try to play for the lottery picks, and I think the Knicks are really made. A, a concerted effort to say, hey, enough of spending money unnecessarily on free agents and really trying to hope that we can catch lightning in a bottle. I think that we will see this season, perhaps you might not even see Kristaps Porzingis. And I think rightfully so. You know, there's been talk that, um, you know, this injury is a very unique one for a player of that size. You know, they didn't add really a lot of star power to that team. I think, you know, clearly with the young draft picks and Kevin Knox and uh, the young man Robinson, Mitchell Robinson, I think the thing about it is they're looking to say, hey, look, let's build within the draft. We saw what happened with Philadelphia. And if we're able to nab a top pick to go along with perhaps a, a, a marquee free agent and then you add that top pick along with Kevin Knox, and then you bring back Kristaps Porzingis. Well, now the Knicks are pretty much in a situation that the West, the Eastern Conference, based upon the fact that LeBron going West, is now open for a lot of teams. And the question will be how effective you will be in terms of putting your team together. So, you know, a couple of moves here and there, lo and behold, you could be a team that's right up there with the team's like a Boston, um, you know, I wouldn't say really Toronto because I think Toronto has so much on the line this year and make or break, you know, they're going to hit a stretch where they're going to hit the reset button. And then after that, it's Philadelphia that's right there. So 
I think the Knicks are utilizing this opportunity to see what's up in front of them and trying to sort of plan for the near future. And they also have a, a max contract that they'll be able to afford come next summer, now, not to look too far ahead. And, uh, of course, it's too early to even start to gauge what direction they're going to go. But you're right. I really feel that the Knicks, and with the way Steve Mills, Scott Perry, and now with the new coach in the mix, you would think that they're going to go about this the right way as opposed to trying to make the quick fix the Band-Aid, and you know they're going to be in salary cap hell for years to come. Yeah, and they, I mean, they've been there, they've done that, and I think this is something that uh, you know Scott Perry has really, really been adamant about in terms of just practicing patience. And I mean, let, let's be honest, most Knicks fans know that, again, you know, since the 90s and maybe you had a, a cup of coffee with the playoffs that year with Mike Woodson and Carmelo, mm-hmm. it's really been a franchise that really hasn't had a lot of success. So, you know, in recent times, you've seen what the Philadelphia 76ers did. You know, they put together a plan and, and, and utilized it for about a good four to five years and we've seen it pay, uh, pay off in huge dividends in terms of with the talent that they have been able to select. And I think that's the key thing is the only way they're going to be able to attract uh, high volume or high price market uh, free agents to land and put into that equation, you got to have a supporting cast. And in order to do that, you got to be able to draft effectively and hopefully catch lightning in the bottle. Yeah, that's what you hope, and that's how the NBA is. I mean, you definitely try to get uh, as high up in the draft as you can and get that uh, superstar player that could lead you and your franchise for the next 10 years or so. Now, with that being said, with the East pretty much being top-heavy in its own right, you figure, again, Boston, Philly, Toronto. You know, Washington is that team that's in the middle there somewhere, same with Milwaukee. Do you think the Knicks, even without Porzingis, could somehow, some way win 35 to 40 games and maybe get an eighth seed, which – I understand there's no such thing as you know moral victories because when you make it to the playoffs, you know you're going to be a sacrificial lamb to one of those top teams in the East. But considering with everything that you mentioned about this franchise, do you think that by hook or by crook they'll be able to sneak into the postseason come uh, April next year? No, I don't really think so. I just think that they don't have – you know, I think that they have a lot of uh, pieces instead, as opposed to a main piece. And I think the key thing is is that – you know, uh, hopefully Knicks fans can be patient to let a young player like Kevin Knox, who's phenomenal in the summer league, but we know that's the summer league, be able to uh, evolve and really be in a situation and grow in that situation. Um, I don't think that they are that strong. And you just mentioned a couple of teams. Look, we don't know what you know the type of team that Washington Wizards are going to have, as well as the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, Chris Middleton among others, is in a free agent year. If they add another piece where a player really steps up and assumes that sort of Robin role to go along with Giannis, mm-hmm. they could probably be a force. But I think um, you're going to have a lot of the bottom feeder teams, you know, with, with teams like Charlotte that possibly can try to make a little run that's going to be around there. The Detroit Pistons yeah. are another team. Um, I, I just think that the Knicks are so far behind, you know, even teams like the Chicago Bulls who should be a lot, you know, much more improved, uh, depending on, you know, how long young man Lloyd Marketing is out, you know, mm-hmm. adding Zach Levine, a healthy Zach Levine for a full season, hopefully into that mix. So I, I just think there's too many teams that are really built to be around that sort of seven to eight seed that the Knicks would be a, a player in there and possibly get in. I mean, if they do, that would be a tremendous, tremendous, uh, accomplishment for that franchise moving forward. Right. And talking about a team that has a lot of pieces, 
obviously they fly under the radar when it comes to the NBA, but the Brooklyn Nets, now they don't have the stud player. If you want to say D'Angelo Russell has an upside considering how young he is, that's one. Jared Allen, who made strides toward the end of the year, the center, the big man. And then, of course, they have small little pieces around them. The Karis LeVerts of the world, the Ronde, uh, Hollis Jeffersons, you know, guys like that. Allen Crabb, where they could make a splash or maybe make some improvement, not to say they're going to make it to the postseason. But my point is, is that with a team like that and knowing that they have come next summer two uh, max slots available to bring in whomever they want, do you think that Brooklyn somehow, some way could be an attractive place for them to not only bring that type of free agent player in, but also build in an Eastern Conference where right now they could certainly maybe make some noise this year, if not this year, definitely for years to come. Well, I think this is a big year for them in terms of seeing the pieces that they have from guys like Alan Crabb as well as the other players that you had mentioned to see exactly, you know, how competitive they can be. You know, last year they played very, very hard for Kenny Atkinson. And although, you know, they came up short a lot of times, they were a team that was really in a situation building pieces, uh, you know, of a core that really plays hard. Now the big thing is, you know, D'Angelo Russell, does he evolve into sort of, you know, that sort of uh, star player that's going to be able to go out there and do some things and win some games pretty much just based upon his ability by himself? Um, that remained to be seen. And, and, and also, too, if they're able to, you know, get their draft pick, you know, they haven't had a draft pick in quite some time, but right. if they're able to get a draft pick and get somewhere in that lottery and then have a situation where you can be able to bring in two max players. I think it bodes well, but, you know, it, it's going to be a really touch-and-go situation with them because based upon what's out there in terms of what will be out there free of free agency, mm-hmm. I don't know if they can really attract a marquee guy. You know, I mean, Kevin Durant is going to be a free agent. Could you see Kevin Durant going to that team and joining that cast or maybe some other pieces here and there? and leave what he has already been able to establish and be a part of in Golden State. I just don't see that happening. I think that the Knicks would have a better chance in being able to get back into the mix a lot faster. But one thing about the Nets is that they do play hard. And, you know, they're another team that, again, they really want to have to rely on perhaps getting a, a, a top pick and then if there's a marquee player that's kind of disgruntled in this situation and wants to leave and possibly, you know, they can be able to attract that type of a player, a la like a Paul George when he left Indiana and ended up in OKC, mm-hmm. that you can have him for at least a year and try to convince him to stay. That would be something interesting to watch. Oh, yeah. And the thing that's tough if you do go to Brooklyn is you're always going to be in the shadow of the Knicks. So despite the fact that when Jimmy Butler, as you mentioned before, when he talked about the teams that he wanted to be traded to, and he mentioned the Knicks, the Clippers, and the Nets, it almost kind of put the league on notice that, hey, the Nets are going to have money freed up come next year. Yes, it is an attractive place. It's Brooklyn. It's not Madison Square Garden. But that's why I asked you, is it a thing where in the back of some free agents' minds, maybe not the Kevin Durant's of the world, but the Jimmy Butler's, the more the 1A as opposed to the top dog, would that be enough for them to allure that type of free agent to play in Brooklyn, even in the shadow of Madison Square Garden? I mean, they could. You know, I think they, they would obviously have to, you know, overpay. But at the end of the day, what will that do? You know, I right. think the first thing that comes to mind, I mean, you know, Amari Stoudemire, you know, again, got a great start when he came to New York, but unfortunately with the injuries. 
it never really panned out. So the thing is, is that you can bring in a marquee player, perhaps somebody that, you know, was a, a second-tier player, and you offer him a sort of a max contract, and because of the money, you overwhelm him. But the question will be, how much better does he make that team? And then what will be the expectation for the Brooklyn Nets going forward? I think the key thing is is that, they're, you know, again, try to win some games, play hard, and then hopefully be able to get themselves a lottery pick. And then, you know, combined with a lottery pick, a young, talented player with some of those players that they uh, named in terms of Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, mm-hmm. um, you know, Jared, maybe a track a sort of player like that. And then if they hold that sort of other max contract, maybe you can bring in and entice a sort of franchise player to join that mix. So it's a, it's a work in progress. And unfortunately, it's a team that's still dealing with the uh, ramifications behind, you know, the uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett decision to bring them to Brooklyn. Right. Now, of course, that was Billy King, where uh, I'm sure the statue is probably being erected outside of the uh, TD Garden, considering that uh, Jalen Brown and, of course, uh, Jason Tatum were the last two picks that would have been Brooklyn Nets that, of course, the Celtics have chosen. But um, now to talk about the East on a whole, do you think this is Boston's conference to lose or do you think that there's uh, the Philly could be the team to uh, represent the Eastern Conference? Uh, What are your thoughts on on the East here as we are just days away from the season? Well, you know, I, I, I'm a little concerned. I mean, there's been talks about, you know, Gordon Hayward, how, you know, how healthy he will be uh, coming back. You know, he was, has a horrific injury that took place last year. He missed the whole entire season, and then he had some issues during the course of the preseason, talking about back issues already, which is not a thing you want to hear if you're a Celtics fan. And then also Kyrie Irving's coming off of a knee injury. So health will be – a key thing for them. And I think the the bigger thing for them moving forward, you know, there were some rumors and rumblings that possibly the Celtics and Danny Ainge could be in the mix to try to, you know, go after a uh, Anthony Davis. Will they sort of pull the strings and try to make that happen during the course of the regular season? But as that team is constructed right now, this is a team that got to a seventh game in the Eastern Conference Finals without their sort of quote-unquote marquee players to go along with the other guys. Uh, you know, I'm still up in the air with them. I think the dark horse, if you will, I think it's between the uh, Celtics as well as the Raptors. But the dark horse in that whole equation is the Indiana Pacers. Mm-hmm. You know, the development of a guy like Victor Oladipo, which really opened up a lot of people's eyes last year to go along with Miles Turner. You know, can they be able to do some things? Now, I'm not saying that they're strong enough to win the Eastern Conference, but I think that they will be a major player in that mix. So the question is, you know, after sort of the Celtics, you know, it's the Celtics and then maybe the Raptors and the Sixers, and then it's a big drop-off, and I think it's a lot of who's who there. But um, it's just all about matchups, you know. With Philadelphia, which really I'm, I'm curious to find out about them, is how well they match up with Boston. You think about last year, we saw the Sixers have no problem with the Miami Heat. It really dominated them because they were more athletic than the Heat as far as on the perimeter. Well, now if you look at the Celtics, they can match up with the Philadelphia 76ers, who, oh, by the way, lost a lot of pieces that uh, really were very uh, helpful down the stretch during the trade deadline for them. So I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a who's who, and then you throw Toronto in there, Toronto matches up well with Boston. 
Mm-hmm. So I think it's just pretty much uh, those three teams. And then after that, um, it's, it's just pretty much a toss-up. But I do think somewhere that dark horse and the sleeper in the whole mix, the Indiana Pacers might have something to say about that. You're right. And then when we turn our attention out west, uh, of course, you could pretty much say the same with Golden State, Houston. Uh, could you think maybe uh, the Lakers could be that three seed? Uh, and then, of course, not that there's a significant drop-off out west like you see out in the east, but again, we know the two Titans and then maybe if people want to throw the Lakers in the mix. What are you looking at as far as the West is concerned and how it's shaping up uh, going into this year? Well, you know, Jason, I don't look at the West. I look at the West as kind of a little thing where we do know that the Golden State Warriors are obviously there. But for some reason, I'm just having this feeling and looking at the Houston Rockets. I don't think there's a sense of urgency for them to either try to be the number one seed or the number two seed. I think that that's a team that's perhaps going to take somewhat of a step back simply because they lost a lot of perimeter defense in terms of with Trevor Ariza, Lutenba, Muche. And, yes, they replaced them with guys like the James Dennis. They also replaced them with Carmelo Anthony. But that equate, that sort of mixture that they had last year uh, it was very, very different than what they have this year. And then the big thing is you're going to have to monitor Chris Paul's minutes and be very, very selective to try to make sure you keep Chris Paul as fresh as possible going into the playoffs. And I know they added a couple of pieces in terms of backup point guards. So I think that we would see perhaps maybe a, a, lot, a little less of Chris Paul during the course of the regular season to try to preserve him and monitor his minutes. And then at the same time, you know, James Harden has had a phenomenal season. And he's, you can probably say he should have won at least two uh, league MVPs. You know, can he still continue to – shoulder that load does he take a step back Clint Capella has gotten his money so I I just think Houston I don't really know about them and at one point I said that perhaps after Golden State you could have possibly even thrown maybe the the San Antonio Spurs in there but they lost the uh, the young talented player DeJounte Murray to Mm -hmm. a knee injury he was out for the season so I really think that obviously they're going to drop down but for argument's sake maybe it's just Golden State and then, if you will, pick them. I think, I don't know, you know, Portland, if you look last year, I think from three to about seven, which separated those teams, if I'm not mistaken, was maybe two, two games or something like that. So yeah, you had right. a, a team like the Portland Trailblazers, who were the third seed, and a lot of people were looking at them like, huh? You know, <laughs> as, well, as well as a team like the Denver Nuggets, who uh, missed the playoffs as well. Yeah, and those teams would actually be good in the East and maybe could do a little bit more damage than the teams that they would play out in the West. And right, you look at what Portland did last year, having the third-best record, and then what happened? First round, it got swept by New Orleans. So uh, that's the thing about the West. You just don't know. And considering that Golden State and Houston, and I'm with you about the Rockets, uh, I've never been in love with them. And even with Carmelo in the mix, like you said, they suffer. It's addition by subtraction. You know, they added Carmelo, but then they lose the defensive, you know, perimeter defense, like you mentioned for uh, guys like Mbabute and also with Trevor Ariza. Now, when you're looking at the West, I understand you picked Indiana as that dark horse team. Is there anybody out in the West that could maybe even push a Golden State or a Houston that could maybe uh, ruffle a few feathers there out West? You know, obviously, you know, everybody's going to pretty much jump on the LeBron James bandwagon and uh, maybe say, oh, yeah, they, they can go at it. But, you know, just based upon what he did last year with that Cleveland Cavaliers team. Uh, you know, 
I don't I don't think so. You know, I think that it would really, really be foolish to say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, you, you say the Denver Nuggets could be a team that could really push the Golden State Warriors. But I think, really, it's it's Golden State and everybody else. You know, in terms of dark horses, I would say a pretty much a dark horse team would be just somebody perhaps making a push to be up there, one of those top-tier teams in the West. But I don't think that there's anyone that can really come close to really knocking – the uh, the Golden State Warriors off the porch at uh, number one. And with that said, uh, well, you know, before we get to uh, your NBA Finals pick, I don't know if you want to tip your hand too soon because I know you got a show coming up on uh, Saturday, which I bet you'll love. No, uh, uh-uh. uh-uh. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. I'm having Yankees withdrawal. I'm having Yankees withdrawal. I'm, I'm just, I mean, I'm having this. I'm having Yankees withdrawal. Right. So, <laughs> so having this NBA uh, is a little bit of a distraction to kind of eased a little bit of the pain that you had to suffer from last night. And I was, I was, let me tell you something, just to turn our attention to baseball for a second, that was heart-stopping baseball in that ninth inning, I tell you. And that's the beauty of baseball, knowing that you have to get that final out. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, that's, a, that's a loss that's going to you, you know, stick with you for a while, not because of how they lost the game, but, of course, it's who you lost to. And we all know the hated Red Sox were involved. So uh, I feel you, my man. I know it must have been tough sledding uh, today trying to uh, you know, sort that out. Well, no, I mean, if you look at the whole season as a whole, this was a team that, you know, it's kind of like an NBA team that, you know, it reminds you somewhat of the Houston Rockets, if you will. Mm-hmm. They're a team that obviously shoots a lot of threes, and the Yankees, um, they hit a lot of home runs, hit a ton of home runs, you know, set the record. It was great. First team ever in Major League Baseball history to get 20 home runs at least from each and every single position in the order. That's great, but the difference between this year's Yankees team as opposed to last year's Yankees team that went to a seventh game against the Houston Astros is one thing. They had situational hitters. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, a guy like a Starling Castro, you know, even a guy coming off the bench like Ronald Torres. I think that they had guys that could put the ball in play as opposed to guys that were the big boppers. And that was the sort of Achilles heel with this Yankees team the entire season. Losing to a lot of teams that, you know, have lesser talent, well, because the fact is when you keep the ball in the ballpark with the Yankees, it doesn't really work out well. And on top of that, you know, it should be priority number one. They're going to have to find a number one uh, starter, a stud. And I think that that individual – they bring in that can be able to pitch in that AL East, hopefully will be able to take less pressure off of a guy like Luis Severino and really just start to turn the table in terms of really building some of these young players in that pitching staff. Because we all know Manny Machado, Bryce Harper is not going to help the Yankees secure another world championship. They're going to have to have pitching. Home runs are great in in the regular season. But pitching and situational hitting, along with solid defense, is what helps a team win in the postseason. No, spot on, Gerald. Absolutely. And uh, a couple quickies before I let you go. Uh, going back to the NBA, uh, we all know who the top players are in the league. We could talk about it till uh, we're blue in the face. But uh, do you have a breakout player? Do you have a guy that's kind of flying under the radar? It's kind of ready to take that leap, kind of like uh, Victor Oladipo did last year. Who's somebody that's on your radar that you're looking at that's going to make that leap that a lot of NBA fans can look at and say, hey, this is a guy i got to turn my attention to? Well, I, I think the, the, the big thing is, is um, you know, Oladipo really surprised a lot of people last year. Um, but, I, you know, for some reason, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see how Jason Tatum. Does Jason mm. Tatum take that sort of next step? 
and becoming this sort of, uh, you know, a player that can continue to evolve. And now you can say we can start putting the S word in terms of superstar status along with him. And then out West, you know, Donovan Mitchell did an unbelievable job and rookie of the year, but I'm always curious to see how some of these young players evolve that next year because now we say, okay, we've seen this and it was done with so little pressure or so little attention, but now the spotlight is on you. You're going to play more games on national television. Uh, Will you be that sort of breakout player? And I think uh, another player that bears watching, DeAndre Ayton, you know, he's on a team that without a guy like Devin Booker for at least, I think, a couple of months, it's going to be really curious to see how this young player plays. I mean, uh, thus far, he's been very, very dominant. But uh, obviously, the NBA now is a guard-heavy league. But I'd be really curious to see how well he plays out there. No, absolutely. And uh, finally, just to kind of wrap up here, I know we talked from the start with uh, with Blog Talk Radio and things of that nature because, of course, people know – who have listened to my show that going back with 2008 to I think 2013 when I was doing that. And of course that was around the same time you were doing the same, but you were doing it twice a week. You were doing, I remember Tuesday and Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you were grinding then. And of course it led you into uh, doing what you're doing now with Sirius uh, XM. So please tell us uh, what it is behind the scenes for those out there who are aspiring to be at that level to get in the business or even just to get on the, on the air, considering now it's about podcasts and we're going to talk about in the key in a second, but uh, kind of give us uh, just your feeling of your background of what you did and what it took to get to where you are today. Well, you know what? It was so interesting, you know, Jason, I, I, I found that blog talk radio was a sort of launching pad. And I think that in that stage there, you know, it was kind of like in that era where, Internet radio was not credible in you right. know, individuals or people that get on there. And what I found that, you know, like, you know, people such as yourself and numerous other individuals were, you know, just as good as the people that were on the, the ESPN, the Sirius and stuff, and had quality conversation, stuff that, you know, again, that wasn't sort of the, you know, the, the regular, you know, stuff that people would talk about over and over ad nauseum. But mm-hmm. I would say really just be in a situation that you add something that's different to what is being out there right now. You know, you can go two different you can go two different directions. You can either go with the regular, you know, stuff or really give a true perspective, your opinion on the certain sports and, and, and engaging conversation, realistic or you can do the shock value thing. And a lot of the times the shock value stuff doesn't last too long. But uh, I, I think, you know, sports talk radio is all about opinions. And, you know, if you argue, you know, offer a very value, valid uh, opinion and, and point, I think it, it can engage people. And I think that uh, be receptive to learn. Continue to just keep learning. And, you know, one of the things that uh, with blog talk radio was uh, – you know, I had a history and, and a background of working in, in, you know, sports and, you know, working with the Knicks at the ball boy many years ago and yeah. then coaching, you know, a, a, you know, AAU travel basketball team. I had, you know, a bunch of kids that were, you know, high big time college basketball players as well as pros. It enabled me to just sort of reach out and start getting my friends and people that I might do uh, know to get on the show. But I think the big thing was, I wanted to always make sure it was a conversation as opposed to an interview. Right. You know, it would just feel like we're sitting here talking sports. And I found that a lot of people out there, that's what we all do, you know, from time to time. So it's basically finding your niche 
and finding something that at the end of the day it, it, it reflects who you are as opposed to this sort of fictional character and all this stuff. But also, you know, just ask the questions that you want to ask and engaging conversation in sports talk. Yes, I totally agree because uh, that's the one thing with the interview process. You know, everything is just so structured. And I understand it has to be some structure even during a conversation. But at the same time, you know, some of the reporters, they have the, these agendas that they just want to go out there and either expose the athlete or try to get them to answer that tough question, which, hey, we understand. We have, we have to bring those up. But at the same time, I totally agree with the conversational aspect because it makes that individual, makes the the you know the guest a little bit more open and more receptive to answering certain questions that are not just the day to day questions that they get from the you know local newspaper writers or from you know ESPN or whatever it may be. So I totally agree with you on that. No, no I was going to just add on to that. I think a lot of the times the, the questions and the answers that you seek out will organically come out just based upon in the conversation. Yep, that's you know? it. No, I totally agree. And uh, also in the key, uh, of course, that's a podcast you just started. I would want to say over the summertime, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, we did. We started it over the summertime. We took a little time off, and we're going to be launching back real soon. So you know, we'll be having some updates on Twitter in terms of some of the things that we got going on with that. But uh, again, just the same old type of setup, and uh, was just really fortunate to connect with uh, BJ Armstrong and. BJ, you know, obviously playing in the NBA, winning three championships with the Chicago Bulls, mm-hmm. but uh, he's made this transition into a, a sports agent, and he represents, you know, a bunch of guys in the league, you know, from Draymond Green to Derrick Rose to Luke Walton, the head coach of the uh, Lakers, and uh, Fred Hoiberg. But uh, very, very interesting dynamic and a lot of great, you know, sort of perspectives on the world of sports and also have a hip-hop head as well oh nice and of course i'm sure you can get that on apple Podcasts, google play or wherever you listen to your podcast and last but not least gerald of course i'd be remiss not to ask you this question so uh, who do you have in your nba finals uh, for next summer well you know what i'm gonna say this i think we have golden state and oof, I, I just you know if you if you toss it up I want to say Boston. Mm-hmm. I think that obviously I want to say Boston somehow, some way. You know, if this car, if, if Kyrie Irving is healthy, I'm going to say Golden State and Boston. And here's the thing: I have Golden State winning in maybe seven games. Oh wow! Maybe seven. Yeah, well, I have them winning. It's going to be it's tough because I think Boston, if the history is correct, they were perhaps one of the few teams that were very, very tough in terms of defensively, again, guarding the perimeter, offering a lot of athletes, guys that, again, when you can just make them switch and all that stuff, uh, especially on on the perimeter, you know, their defense and their offensive set were very effective. And they also had a lot of guys that on that perimeter that could create their own shot off the dribble. I mean, we saw with Kyrie, going at Steph Curry a few years back, how effective he was in that uh, championship year that the uh, the, the Cavs won. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like them. I just think that clearly, you know what, you know, Boston doesn't have that much, you know, enough firepower in terms of, you know, being what they can offer in terms of, you know, healthy Boogie Cousins. But I, I like them, and especially if you can have a situation where you can have a Jason Tatum as well as a Jalen Brown on the court at the same time with the Gordon Hayward 
as well as a Kyrie Irving, and oh, by the way, Al Horford, uh, or, you know, going up against that team right there. I think it's going to be a very, very entertaining uh, finals. But I, I, I think right now, if I had to pick, I would say Golden State and Boston, and I'd say Golden State winning either in six or seven. Great stuff, Gerald. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in and, uh, or, of course, being on the program. And last but not least, I would think that uh, maybe halfway through the season, maybe we'll get to around the All-Star break, you're more than welcome to come back on. We'll handicap the season halfway through, and uh, we'll pick it up from there. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Are you kidding me? I, I, I want to come back on even sooner than that. We've got to talk football. I, you know, I, I, I'm at, my, I'm at my, my girlfriend's place. I just saw Isaiah Crowell. He's outside walking. I said, man, you got to be tired of all that running yards, rushing yards you had the other day against the Broncos. But uh, listen, Jason, man, definitely always salute you and what you're doing. And, uh, you know, definitely going back to the blog talk days, blog talk radio days. And anytime, any, any opportunity, man, I'd love to come on and really talk sports because at the end of the day, it's not even, you know, like it's an interview. It's just really two individuals talking some great sports talk. But uh, I'd be more than happy to come on anytime you need me, my friend. Uh, much appreciated. You know, like it was both ways, man. Thanks, Gerald. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. All right, guys, what do you think? Very interesting conversation discussing the association with Gerald Brown. You can tune into his program, Bottom Line Sports Show, on NBA Radio, Sirius XM, I believe channel 82 or 84. You may want to check the, your listings there for what channel NBA Radio is. But uh, again, I go way back with him, and it was great to have him on the program. Definitely wants to come back to talk other sports, but considering that his specialty, he loves the NBA. He's uh, certainly made a career out of discussing the NBA, and with the podcast that he has coming out, what better person than to dial up to get on the line to discuss what's happening in the league and hopefully sometime in the near future well, I'm sure we'll probably have him back on before the all-star break or somewhere around that time talk trade rumors disappointments surprises in the league and uh, certainly a great spot to discuss everything round ball hardwood with Gerald now as far as I'm concerned I'm going to try to breeze through this quick of course you heard everything that uh, was pretty much voiced there by Gerald and I agree with a lot of things not once did we have any type of disagreements. I totally feel as if the league, as top-heavy as it is, is pretty much going to be just that. All right, as far as my predictions, my thoughts about the league, they're pretty much going to mirror a lot of what Gerald had said. This, out of all the sports leagues, is the most top-heavy when it comes to teams that can make it to a final or win a final. I think you have about five teams that could actually win it. Three in the East, two in the West. That's not to say that they're going to make it to a final, they're locks. But when you look at the East, you look at Boston, Toronto, Philadelphia. And out West, it's either Golden State or Houston. I don't think the Lakers, as much as they're going to make quantum leaps and who knows what kind of changes they'll make in the middle of the season come the deadline. But I don't think they're ready, even with LeBron James there at the helm. I don't know if they're ready to make a run to an NBA final. Would it shock you if LeBron does it? I mean, he's made it there eight straight years. Why not a ninth? But... Golden State and Houston are just powerhouses out west. They're going to be tall orders for any team, let alone the Lakers. So I only look at those five teams making it to a final, and I think Golden State, Houston, or Boston are one of three teams that can win it. I don't know about Toronto. I certainly don't know about Philly. And this is what we're discussing here on, what is it, October the 15th, 2018, on the eve of the NBA season as I'm recording this 
uh, portion of it. I really truly believe that three teams can win the NBA final. I don't know how anybody else feels. I'm sure there's cities out there that will look and say, what about us in Portland? Or what about Philadelphia? Or you know, whatever other team that may be, or whatever city that is going to be represented, I'm sure they're going to think they have a shot. Milwaukee, Indiana, possibly Oklahoma City. And I get that. You're looking forward to another season. You think that your team, despite the fact that they're going to be up against those powerhouses in each of those conferences, that there's no way, shape, or form you're just going to say, all right, we'll just give them the keys to the NBA Finals castle and they're pretty much going to rule the roost. But just look at the last several years. I understand it's tough to look at the last four years because it's been the same two teams. And rightfully so. You've had the best player in the league overall with the best team with the second and third best players arguably in the league and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. So when you're looking at this from a whole it's really difficult to see a team that's just going to come out from nowhere and make that run to an NBA final that would really absolutely shock you. Now, I don't know what the odds are. I'm not a betting man, as everybody knows. If you're going to throw Indiana's hat in the ring or if you're going to look at a team like Oklahoma City or a team like the Utah Jazz that could go to an NBA final, hey, listen, if you have the dough to blow, then sure, give them a shot. You never know. Anything could happen in the sport. But usually with basketball... It is the best team that wins. It's not like the NFL where you could go 13-3 and three and then you're out in the divisional round. It's not like hockey where you could be the top seed and you could get bumped by the eighth seed in the first round. And it's certainly not like baseball where, for the most part, the best team wins. But look at the Seattle Mariners. We could go through a, a bunch of baseball teams throughout the years that have had great records in the regular season. And what did that earn them? Nothing but an exit out of the postseason. So even with all that being said, I'm going to get to the conferences in a little bit. I figured I'd start it off that way. And pretty much the storylines that I mentioned with Gerald are how I feel about this. And real quick, Warriors going for three straight. As I mentioned before, it'll be the first team since the early 2000 Lakers to do so. And to think, they were up three games to one in 2016 against the Cavaliers. And we know what happened. Only team to win an NBA final down 3-1. LeBron, Heroics, the championship. Could you believe that if somehow, some way, they were able to eke out one of those games, they'd be going for a fifth straight NBA final? Fifth straight. We haven't seen that in forever. We're talking about the Celtics of the 60s. Okay, so just to show how close they were to greatness, they were just that, I mean, just literally inches away from becoming a team that's on the precipice of winning five straight NBA titles. But obviously that's not the case. But I think that's the one storyline and pretty much how they're going to navigate this NBA season is a storyline. As we all know, DeMarcus Cousins is now in the mix. Him being part of the team there, not knowing when he'll come back. Chances are he won't be back until probably sometime January, maybe before or shortly after the All-Star break. But having him in the mix certainly is going to add another dimension to that team. And we all know how... Great they've been over the years. We all know the star power. We all know the firepower. We know the heart and soul, the blood and guts of those of that team, who they are, the shooters, the playmakers, everything. I mean, they, they're just they're loaded in all ways, shapes, and forms. And when we look at both conferences and you look at the East and West and pretty much that's how you got to break it down, I think the Warriors, when you look at their over-under total at 62.5, they're the going to be the top story going in. Who's going to be able to dethrone this team? Whether it's during the Western Conference playoffs or in an NBA final. I think that's story number one. 
Story number two, of course, is LeBron. How that team thrives in LA. LA back on the map. They haven't been in the postseason in five years. One of the storied franchises and all of the NBA. They're back on the map. And how they're going to play out this season with the players that they have. Both mix of young and old. The Kyle Kuzmas, the Lonzo Balls, the Brandon Ingrams of the world. Mixing that with the JaVale McGee's, the Lance Stevenson's, the Rajon Rondo's of the world. And with LeBron smack front and center of it all. How this team is going to play. How they're going to perform. Are they going to be that team that their number is at 48 and a half? Are they going to be slightly over that? Right at it? Or just a notch or two below? So I think that's a storyline there. And just knowing that LeBron's out west, it's interesting. Now the Lakers, of course, everybody's going to watch them no matter you know where they are, no matter what time, etc. We all know that even when they were bad, they still had a lot of games on ESPN, TNT, etc. So now it's ratcheted up that much more. I think they have like 30-something games. Then the low 30s, 30, 31 games that are going to be broadcast on cable. Celtics, I think, are second. 28 games. Well, all those games are going to be pretty much must-see TV, especially for the Laker fan that's been waiting for this moment, waiting for their team to be relevant again. I think that's a big story. And also, who's going to come out of the East, I think, is also another storyline. Everybody's going to look to the Celtics. Everybody's going to look to possibly Toronto and the Philadelphia 76ers. But right, is Indiana going to be that team that's going to make its march and have a say in this? Will the Milwaukee Bucks, will Giannis take that next step as a possible MVP candidate? A guy that's going to raise his game to another level that could take his team to new heights. Uh, To me, that's another storyline there. Because all we've known over the last four years in the Eastern Conference is LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, obviously, this is going to be the one year, and this is not going out on a limb by any stretch, that we're not going to see the Cleveland Cavaliers in an NBA final. So... Out of those three teams, which chances are those are going to be the favorites to make it to a final, can another team in that conference do so? Where in the West, I just think it's too top-heavy with Golden State and Houston there. And who knows? Are we going to see another seven-game slugfest like we saw last year? Of course, it remains to be seen. Have to play the games. But uh, we'll certainly continue to dissect and take a look as this NBA season opens up tonight. And obviously, we'll be watching throughout this long NBA season. You know, and I understand we're not going to get into it too much early on. We all know the regular season's a marathon. These games and the season just gets dragged out. You kind of get into it after the NFL playoffs. And certainly once the Super Bowl's over, you really get to sink your teeth into it. And then you just wait for April until all the matchups and the records and everything's set. And then you take it from there from mid-April to mid-June. What the NBA postseason will develop and how it will develop and crown a champion there in mid-June. But with the locals, we'll start off with the Knicks. And as we both know, that's right, me and you. I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> as we know that the Knicks not having Kristaps Porzingis probably until January or February certainly puts a crimp on things if you're a Knicks fan because he is the only guy to go see at the Garden when healthy. Going into his fourth year, the Knicks have even stated today that they're not going to talk about contract with Kristaps as yet. And I believe that that's the case. As much as you want to lock this guy in, and as important as you want to lock this guy in. We don't know what that injury is going to entail from a guy that big, 7'3", that long, and how he's going to be able to face the rigors of running up and down the court throughout the course of, let's say, this second part of the season. You can't just all of a sudden give this guy max money knowing that he's possibly damaged goods. Of course, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a 
trainer. I'm not with the team or follow the team by any stretch of the imagination just from afar. But we could talk about all the big men throughout that have had these crippling injuries. You know, Sam Bowie had a foot injury. Never had an ACL. But then again, when you have somebody who's the focal point of your team, and I understand that you want to pay this man because you want this guy not to walk away. You don't want there to be any contentious, you know, contentious relationship with the front office and having this key player, this piece to your team, just either walk or pretty much has his days numbered here in New York. As much as you don't want that to happen, but if you're upper management, you certainly have to look at this and take this with kid gloves to say, hey, there's no way, shape, or form that we could push all our chips to the middle of the table despite the fact that there's potential through the moon. Not even to the moon, through it. And I certainly wouldn't take that chance right now knowing that he's not healthy. We don't know what his status is as far as the timetable is concerned. So we have to see how this plays out. But I would think that if you're Scott Perry and Steve Mills, you have to talk with this kid. You have to talk with their representation to say, this kid is part of our future. No ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. But at the same time, we certainly have to proceed with caution. We want to see how healthy he is. We want to see him play that second half of the year or whenever he comes back to see how sturdy that leg is because as an organization, they just can't go ahead and invest $150 million or in upwards of that to a guy that may be playing 40 games a year. Can't do that. And they ha- But the thing is, they have to bring that to their attention now if they haven't done so already. And I would think that their representation, as much as they may not want to hear that, as much as they may want to turn their backs on that, but this is a relationship that's going to be obviously multi-years. And there's no way that the Knicks are just stupidly spend this, you know, spend their money as if a drunken sailor, not knowing what they're going to get on their return on investment. So that's number one. And that's going to be something that, as we've seen in the past, more so in the Phil Jackson regime where Chris Stapps walked out on that exit interview and didn't even bother. Now with Scott Perry and Steve Mills in the mix, you kind of wonder, how's that relationship between front office and player? We know we got the new head coach in there and David Fisdale. A lot of people like the way he's come across so far early on in camp, knowing that he's the type of player that's going to preach conditioning. He's from that Pat Riley school of toughness and getting in shape and defense. So you know that if you're a Nick fan, you need to have that type of coach in there that's going to instill the energy, the confidence, and have that relationship with his player. And he had more relationship with Porzingis early on than Jeff Hornacek did. That's not a knock him the former coach, but at the same time, knowing that Fisdale had to stick out that olive branch as the head coach to go visit his star player. And I believe he went overseas to go visit him in Latvia. So that certainly was a good start. But as far as the team is concerned, this year, you only hope, kind of like the Jets, and if you've heard me talk about the Jets on yesterday's podcast in the last few weeks, you just want to see development from these young guys. You want to see development from the point guard. How is Nilakina going to go into the season is he going to be that much focused that much bigger has he developed much more of a jump shot we certainly would like to see that Kevin Knox the number one pick out of Kentucky got rave reviews toward the latter part of the summer league all right how is he going to go into his first year in the league where he's going to be a small forward he's going to be counted on to do big things especially with Porzingis not coming back until midseason Mitchell Robinson was a guy that 
The Knicks took in the second round, who has tremendous upside, could defend, rebound. It seems to be like that type of glue player. But you got to wonder where his head's at half the times because that was why he dropped into the second round. But he certainly had some monster games in the summer league. And I understand you can't base everything on the summer league. But now that the bright lights are going to start sooner than later, you got to see what you have with these guys. You can only hope that they continue to grow and develop and try to get the Knicks back to some relevancy in this league. They waived Joakim Noah, which was huge. A lot of people may think that they've used their stretch provision a little bit too early, that they could have waited until after the year, but the Knicks felt there was no way that they were going to get any takers, despite the fact he has two more, not one, two more years on his contract at $36 million. They felt now is the time to get him off, which does save them some cap money down the road, but at the same time, it had stretched over the next three years. So whatever that may be, I think it's, what, six, $19.2 million when they used the stretch. So 6.4 over the next three years, which could have gone to a mid-level player. They cannot use that until that contract is off the books. So that's one thing to look out for down the road in the near future if the Knicks try to get that middling veteran to come in knowing that they won't be able to afford it due to letting Joakim Noah go. And with this Knicks team, they have a lot of young pieces. They have some talent. They have some promise. It's just all a matter of them being on the same page. And I I understand it may sound cliche, but, you know, we're not talking about guys that have been in the league for four or five years and have played together where they say, all right, now they're ready to take the next step. I mean, you have guys on this team who are young and still a little bit green. And I'm not even talking about the guys like Nilakina and even Kevin Knox for that matter, you know, rookies. You know, how about Emmanuel Moutier, a guy that was drafted by Denver, which I thought was a good trade by the Knicks, but what is he, 22 years old? He still hasn't come into his own. This is a big year for him. A guy like Trey Burke, who certainly was very productive in his time with the Knicks last year. What do you get from him this year? And especially when you try to put it all together on the court, him, Tim Hardaway Jr., as we all know, he's going to be the guy who will probably get the ball the last second of games since he has that experience and will not afraid to take that big shot at the end of a game. You know, Courtney Lee's a veteran presence that will probably be a floor general and is going to be a mentor to a lot of the younger guys on the team, the younger point guards, whether it be Moutier or Nilakina. You know, Enos Cantor is a guy that, as we know, fiery, plays with a lot of energy, a lot of heart, could certainly get a lot of boards, could score points. It's weird. They have all these pieces and young pieces at that But you just don't know how they're going to all play together once they're assembled on the court. And that's, of course, the job of David Fisdale. That's what he has to do. That's what he has to come up with. And and just based on that alone, that's where this Nick team, I bet you they're going to have their moments where they're exciting. And when Chris Stapps comes back, they're probably even going to be that much more exciting. And God willing that he's healthy. But what are you really going to get out of this team? It's almost like looking at a puzzle and you see all these pieces and you try to make it fit, but you don't know if it's going to fit. I know that's a weird analogy, but my point is is that you just don't know. You have a lot of raw talent there, and you're trying to mold it, but you just don't know what you're going to get out of it. And that's pretty much what the Knicks are going to be this year. And it's a good thing because next year, you're going to have a slot for a free agent to come in, a big-time free agent, and I'm sure a lot of the talks to be Kevin Durant. If I'm the Knicks, I would try to go for him. I get that Kyrie Irving's could be could be out there, even though he said that he's going to resign with the Celtics. I get that Jimmy Butler, who I wouldn't even go near, but he's a guy that could be out there. If you're the Knicks, you got to go big game hunting. 
Not to use that term, but you get what I'm saying as far as the free agent player is concerned. And I think the Knicks, their number is 29 and a half. Can they cover 30? I mean, you would think just based on the talent alone, the young talent wanting to learn and grow, you would think they would get there. But as we all know, the Knicks have been dysfunctional for the last 18 years, minus the one playoff year that they had in 2013. Listen, we could only hope as people here in New York certainly want to wrap their arms around a good basketball team. But I'm sure at the same time, they want to see them grow. They're tired of putting Band-Aids, Scotch tape, and bubblegum to put together a basketball team. They want to have a team that's going to be for the long haul, not just for the time being. So I think the Knicks are probably going to have a long year. Will they make 30? I could say they're probably, they're right around that number. I could see them 30 to 35. I can't see any more than that. Barring a miracle trade or barring something that's unforeseen, you know, one of these players just steps up and really takes the reins of their position. And next thing you know, they could be fighting for an eighth seed in the conference. And then with that eighth seed, you don't want to be sacrificial lambs to the Celtics or to Toronto, whomever it may be in the first round. Would it be an achievement to make the postseason? Absolutely. Especially in a weak Eastern Conference when you're trying to jockey for their, you know, seventh or eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. But I would think the Knicks are going to be somewhere floundering around the low to mid-30 number and you're pretty much built for next season. As for the Brooklyn Nets, now they're fascinating in a different light. They're a team that has brought in some players, not of any note or anything that's impactful. You know, they bring in Jared Dudley, Kenneth Fareed from the Nuggets who's going to bring some energy and some passion. Those two in particular, Jared Dudley's a guy that will pretty much live on the three-point line. But Brooklyn, they're a team that talks a lot about culture, has a very solid GM, Sean Marks, also a very good uh, young coach in Kenny Atkinson, and now they have to start to put this together. And granted that they've been doing this on the fly in the light of the disaster with the Billy King trade, the Celtics going back to 2013, now that that's finally in their rearview mirror, and they've been able to procure some players here over the last couple of years, whether that's D'Angelo Russell, of course, from the Lakers, Damari Carroll. Of course, they drafted Jared Allen. They found a diamond in the rough at Spencer Dinwiddie, Allen Crabb. You know, those type of guys that certainly will play their role and have been in the system now for a year or two. Not to say they're going to go on another level or kick it up to another level, but because of the culture, because of the coaching staff, because they've had some camaraderie, unlike the Knicks, you wonder if this team is ready to make a little bit of a step. Can they fight for a 7 or 8 seed and be entrenched in the Eastern Conference playoff mix? And as we know, to look down the road, they have availability for two max players come next summer. Which makes Brooklyn a very interesting and fascinating destination for some players. I get it's not Madison Square Garden, but it is Brooklyn. Everybody wants to hang on to that Brooklyn bandwagon with all the neighborhoods and the restaurants and the culture and everything that Brooklyn has to offer. I mean, I'm a Bronx guy, so of course I'm going to say that. But in all seriousness, Brooklyn does have a lot of that and it has blossomed and burgeoned, as we all know, here in the five boroughs. It is a very popular borough and very popular name when you see the name Brooklyn anywhere on this planet. 
So maybe for a young player or for a guy that wants to make his mark or make a name and say, hey, it's not the Knicks, but this is Brooklyn. I want to be able to take this organization to another level. Could it happen? I'm going to say no right now because I'm sure that team, well, that player would want to play for the Knicks. But then as we all know, who are the owners of the Knicks? And there's a lot of players that have shunned the Knicks over the last some odd years, not named Amari Stoudemire. I think the Nets, this is a big year for their coach and their GM to really start putting this together. I think that they're probably going to shoot for the postseason. I think all teams do. I mean, that's not going on in saying that. But my point is, is that the Nets, in trying to crawl out of this abyss of the last four or five years, now they may have an opportunity to make some hay to get into the Eastern Conference postseason and see where they could go from there. I don't think they want to wallow in a 28-30 to 30 win season. And their number right now is 32 and a half. Is it going to be enough? Considering that this is a team that's pretty much nondescript, that has a lot of role players, it doesn't have the superstar player. See, the Knicks, at least they have, one healthy, they have the superstar player. And they have the top draft pick, a la Kevin Knox. It's not as if the Nets have that top-of-the-line lottery pick that they could certainly build around, unlike the Knicks. So they have to piece it together with guys from, whether high draft picks from other teams, whether players that have had success on other teams, now trying to buy into this team and buy into this culture. Guys that were certainly underdogs and playing onto the team and getting significant playing time to become a big factor, have a big role on this team, a la Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, you have the Karis LeVerts, the Rondé Hollis-Jeffersons. Those are nice players. They're players that I'm sure if you put them on a, a good team or even a winning team will certainly flourish. But on a team that's looking to have an identity, that are trying to have some sort of relevancy, not only just in the league but in this town, it's certainly an uphill battle to have the young coach and Kenny Atkinson to try to get everybody to buy in and try to make that next leap to make that step to possibly getting into the postseason and making a run of things. Now, listen, are you going to go far? Of course not. But that's what they're trying to build, and that's what they have been building in the light of the disaster that was that trade where the Nets had pretty much no first-round picks, what it seemed, for the last five years. And you like the development of some of these players, whether it's Dinwoody, Jared Allen certainly came on strong at the end of last year. And you have the veterans like Damari Carroll, Alan Crabb, etc. But with this team here, I, I could certainly see some more growing pains, but I could see some growth at the same time. They're number 32 and a half. Is that possible? They could possibly, hey, can they win more? I guess they could. Because the Eastern Conference, a lot of the teams that they're going to play, you know, the Atlantas of the world, you know, who knows what Charlotte. You know, a lot of these teams certainly aren't going to be world beaters. Granted, you have a tough division where you have Toronto, the Phil, you know, the Sixers, and the Celtics. Where right there, that's twelve games, and who knows what your record's going to be against them? And then you have the Knicks, who you've never beaten. As a matter of fact, you owned four against them last year. So, I think they'll be in the mix for a seven or eight seed. Will they get there? I'm going to say no. And then I would like to see them flourish. I would like to see them play well. I like to see them get to some sort of relevancy Knicks first I think but Brooklyn you know when you live here and you see that they're always going to be the second fiddle and I guess me because I'm a Met fan and an Islander fan that 
I'm accustomed to being the little brother on the block when it comes to teams like the Yankees and the Rangers in your backyard, where they've always you know, received, and rightfully so, a lot of the pub considering their history. I think you're going to have, I don't want to say long seasons, but they're still a couple of years away from making any type of hay in this Eastern Conference, both the Knicks and Nets. As far as the Eastern Conference is concerned, right, we all know Celtics, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I would think the Celtics, just based on what they've built here over the years, that they have to be the favorite. I understand Toronto. Toronto's a team that you certainly can't underestimate. You would think that the trade with DeMar DeRozan going to San Antonio and with Kawhi Leonard coming to Toronto, I know a lot of people didn't like that trade because they felt as if, oh, well, if Kawhi walks, what do you do? Well, hey, that only leaves you open for another max contract player. And I get that Toronto, although it's a very popular city, a lot of NBA players like to visit, but you got to remember two things. One, the Canadian dollar. And two, it's frigid. Will a superstar player or a top flight player want to play in Toronto and get the big bucks to play alongside Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, etc.? That remains to be seen. But I think they're going to have a good, they're going to have a solid year. They could be every right to represent the Eastern Conference than the Celtics or the Sixers. You know, it's just a matter of what those other teams are going to be. And to me, the same out West. I said it at the top. It's Golden State or Houston that's going to represent the West. I don't think the Lakers are ready. Utah, they can make some strides, but I don't know if they're ready to make that leap. Portland, who had a great regular season, only get bounced in four games to, uh, to New Orleans. And another storyline, Anthony Davis. A lot of talk with him and the Celtics. I, if I'm the Celtics, I understand he could be the final piece. I get that. I just wouldn't do it. I understand the Celtics have the Sacramento pick this upcoming year. They want to, you know, Jalen Brown. They want to, whatever it may be. But as we all know, despite the fact that the Celtics do not have a lot of big man presence down low, rim protector, and we all know Anthony Davis brings that, we all know that this league is all about perimeter and three-point shooting. If you don't have the dominant wing player, if you don't have the guy that's going to take it to the hole in transition, and certainly if you don't have guys that could chuck it from deep down three, you know, this isn't the uh, old NBA where you're going to have back to the basket playing the low block and try to strong arm, you know, 38 points all in the paint. And as far as the over-under numbers for the season, before I get to my NBA Finals pick, the over-unders, and this is going to be tricky because I don't know how to handicap this because a lot of these numbers, obviously if you had to think the top team in the NBA as far as the over-under win total is concerned, it's going to be Golden State, 62.5. So they have to win 63 if you're going to Vegas or even in Jersey to bet on that. The Celtics, I believe, are second at 57.5. If you're wondering about the Lakers, 48.5. The lowest number in the NBA, Sacramento, 25.5. No, I probably could be Atlanta. 23 and a half is Atlanta. Bulls 27 and a half. And it's weird because usually there are one or two teams that they, their number sticks out big time. When you break it all down and you say to yourself, oh, wow, that's their number? No, that's too high. Oh, that number's low. I'm going to pick them as an over. With a lot of these numbers, they, they seem to, at least to me, they seem to be right there. And 
All I can say is that if you're a betting man and I'm not, I will say this. If you're going to take any of these numbers and put a wager on them, I expect you, if you win, I'm sure I'm not going to get a check in the mail. And at the same time, if you do pick these teams and lose, don't expect to come knocking on my door or certainly uh, bitch and moan, whether it's through email or on social media, because I am certainly not responsible for plunking down however much you're going to on some of these picks. But let's just get right to it. Um, the, The first number that I saw, first team, the Detroit Pistons, and we know the Pistons have talent, but Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, I mean, Drummond's, I know, is a big man that he has these monster games, but he floats in and out of these games. I know the number's 37 and a half, and I get that the East, who knows? That could probably, 38 wins could be enough to get a, a six seed based on what the Eastern Conference may be this year. But I'm going to pick them as an under to start the year. They just seem to be dysfunctional. Who knows? I don't even know if Blake Griffin, is he going to be a free agent at the end of this year? I understand this will be a big year for him to try to get that final payday, but that... uh Bloom is certainly off the rose. Not the same player that he was. Lob City with LA. Now he's got to be a little bit more. He's got to improvise a little bit more in his game. Certainly not going to have that point guard that's going to feed him lobs all day and night and you know slam it through for, for two. I'm going to pick Detroit as an under here. Under 37 and a half. That's number one. I will never pick the Lakers. Although I think they're going to go over that number. But I'm not going to pick them. Because if you're a Celtic fan, you're not picking the Lakers. And I understand that's petty of me to do, but, you know, whatever. Um, I'm not a Houston Rocket fan, but 54 and a half seems like it's fair. And even with Carmelo in the mix, I get that they lost, like even what Gerald said. They lost perimeter help. They lost defensive. Even a guy like Ariza, who plays very well defensively and also could shoot the three. You have Carmelo in. We know the metrics aren't there when it comes to Carmelo. But I would think, listen, if he's not going to do whatever it takes to win a title on that team, then he's just might as well retire. I mean, and I like Carmelo, but I could see where it didn't work out in Oklahoma City. But here, he's not expected to do much. He's just expected to post up and shoot. That's it. But if he thinks it's Carmelo circa 2006, then he shouldn't be thinking that way. And I understand players are thought to you know, ride it out to the end. If they think they, you know, if they're 10-time NBA All-Stars, well, they think they're 15-time NBA All-Stars, but as we all know, Father Time certainly passes them by. So I'm going to take Houston as an over. Again, I do not like the Rockets. I've never liked their team. Not a Chris Paul fan, not a James Harden fan in the least. But I would think in that conference that they'll do, eh, last year they had the best record in the league, and I've they 66-16 and 16 at 54 and a half. They can't win 55 games. I'll pick them as an over. The next play, let me see if I can go back. Uh, let's go with another under. Under, 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 under. And again, I'm picking these on the fly, people. So I don't want you to think that uh, yeah, I already had this scripted and ready to go. Under. Should I even pick Sacramento? No, if I pick Sacramento on the under, that's jinxing the Celtics. So I'm not, I won't even go there with that one. You know what? This may be a little risky. What the hell? And it's another 54 and a half number, and I'm going to pick them an under. I think Toronto's going to be good. But we certainly don't know the health of Kawhi Leonard. We don't know if they go through any rough stretches up there, how he's going to react to that. We all know the last year and a half, it's been a mystery with what's gone on with him. 
And I'd be a little concerned that if this groin pops up again, or if something with the front office, if it's not a marriage made in heaven, this could go south pretty quickly. Based on that, I'm going to take them as an under. And listen, even if they go 48 and 34, that could probably be a two or three seed in the Eastern Conference. So that would still be considered a good year. Maybe not for Toronto standards, considering the way they played. You know, they won 59 games last year, but I don't think you're going to expect that. I'm going to pick them as an under, and that's a crapshoot. Only because of the drama surrounding Kawhi Leonard, what does that mean for them this year? Does that mean that he's going to try to push that aside, knowing he's in a walk year and he's going to come out like an angel? Or the minute, whatever, he pulls something on the court that he's just ready to hang it up and I'll come back when I'm ready to come back. You just don't know. So based on that, and just and it's not as if this was a one or two month thing. This was a year and a half going. So I'm going to pick Toronto 54 and a half as an under here. Let's see. Over, over, over. Spurs. Minnesota. I know what the Jimmy Butler stuff. 44 and a half. I'd pick them as an over if there was peace and harmony there, but I just don't. And who knows if Butler's going to get traded. So that remains to be seen. Indiana. You know, these, it's weird. Some years you can look at this and, oh, yeah, this team, that team. Oh, this is. A slam dunk of a pick. I know everybody's jumping on their bandwagon. What the hell? I'm going to pick them as well. And this is a nondescript team too, but they have played very well. I want to pick the Nuggets. 47 and a half is an over. They're going to be, I could see them being like the Portland of this year. A team that is going to thrive. Remember, this team didn't make the playoffs last year and they won 48 games. If I'm not mistaken. I got to go back and double check that. But they had a monster, for them, they had a monster year. They played well. And they still didn't make the postseason. So you know what? They may fly under the radar all year. And again, get me to 48 and we're straight. So I'm going to pick Denver 47 and a half as an over. I have two more. Where do I go with this? Not going Celtics. I thought about Brooklyn, but uh, a little leery with Brooklyn. Same for the Knicks for that matter. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do this. Orlando's 31 and a half. I'm going to pick them as an under. I know this trying to put this together. You know, when you look at the team, you know, Aaron Gordon is pretty much the only guy that you're going to look at and have any type of name recognition as far as, you know, what their team is concerned. I'm going to take a quick look at them. Let's see, Orlando, Orlando, Orlando. Yeah, you look at that number 31 and a half. That's a team that's easily like a 28-win team. You know, they added Jerry and Grant from the Bulls. They drafted Mo Bamba. And the guys that they have on the con- I mean, Evan Fournier, you know, Terrence Ross. I mean, this is, I mean, let's face it, 31 and a half. I mean, that's, I'm definitely taking it under there. I mean, I may not be going out on a limb, but hey, what we're trying to do is win, right? We're trying to just make these predictions and see. I, I just think Orlando, they have not been good for years. They're one of the worst teams in the league. And, you know, 31 and a half, 32 and 50. And I would end up losing. So you know what? That's a, to me, that's a safe bet. I'm picking Orlando's an under. And then lastly, before I get to my NBA Finals pick. Uh, let's see. I mean, I tell you. this. We all know it's not rocket science. It's just pick one or the other. It's 50-50. We get that. But you know, you want to have a little fun with this. Lastly. 
Utah. Let me see. How many do I have? I have one, two. I have three East. So, you know, I'm going to pick a West team just to be, you know, this isn't scientific. I didn't want to do, I could have done all East teams for that matter, over-unders. So, you know what? I'll pick a West team for the hell of it. Dallas. Dennis Smith Jr. and Dontix with Nowitzki. You know, what the heck? Uh, the West is just so loaded. I could just see them beating up on these teams. I'm just going to go on the premise of Dennis Smith, Luka Doncic, who could be your MVP, uh, your not MVP, your rookie of the year, under Nowitzki's wing as he passes the torch. If anything, they'll be exciting. They may not be competitive. They may be in a bunch of shootout games. And Dallas, who else is on that team? But I'm going to pick Dallas as an over 35 and a half. Can they get to six? I mean, come on. They could get 36 and 46. Why not? Now, they had an awful year last year. I mean, they started off like 2 and 10. But I don't know. That's just maybe the young players. We also know about Rick Carlisle. I understand he's going to be you know pretty rough on these guys. Uh, why isn't Dallas on this list? I'm looking for Dallas, Dallas, Dallas. Like I'm going Charlotte, Chicago, Cleveland. And you figure Dallas is next, but it goes Detroit. So look at that. Dallas isn't even on this list. So much for this website, whatever it is. Should I? Ugh, it's NBA.com. All right, NBA.com. Way to go. Last but not least, there you go. So Dallas is 35 and a half. I'm picking them as an over. So my over-unders for the 2018-19 season. Detroit, 37 and a half. And as an under. Houston, 54 and a half over. Toronto, 54 and a half under. Denver, 47 and a half over. Orlando, 31 and a half under. And Dallas, 35 and a half over. Are my picks for this NBA season. And my NBA finals pick. I'm going to stick with Gerald. I understand it's a homer pick. I picked the Steelers to go to the Super Bowl. And, well, that's the NFL. I like the Celtics. I think last year will help them go into a seventh game against Cleveland. And not only that, you're going to have Kyrie and Gordon Hayward in the mix. God willing, no injuries for Gordon, even though he's suffering, a, you know, going through a back issue. The East, although you're going to have Toronto and Philly to deal with, especially with Philly coming into your building to open up the season uh, tonight. But I think it's the Celtics conference to lose. I really do. That's not to say they're not going to face competition from those uh, other two top dogs in the East. But I think the Celtics will prevail and make it to an NBA final as well as the Golden State Warriors. I think the Warriors know that this could be it for them. Durant could leave. Klay Thompson's a free agent. I understand they've all been team, team players. And I understand that they've been chasing this greatness title and going now for back to back to back. And I think it means a lot to them. But I really truly believe that this is going to be it for this run. I would think that they've just been, they've played all these games over the years. And that's not including Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, the guys that have been there from the beginning. Now they're going to push this envelope for a third straight year. And for those two guys that I mentioned, fifth straight year, it's going to be rough. I think they'll make it. And I think they're going to win an NBA final. I'm going to say in six games, Golden State will probably have a better record than the Celtics. So they'll have the home court. The Celtics are going to have a, a window here for years to come where Golden State, their window is starting to close, barring that these, you know, they're going to splinter and go in different directions. So I'm going to say Golden State in six over the Celtics for your NBA final. And that's pretty much your NBA preview, guys. I uh, truly appreciate you taking the time to download this. I hope you were entertained and informed. And uh, also at the same time, please take a listen to some of the other podcasts, the one that I just put out yesterday. Spread the word to those who may like, love, or want to learn more about sports as I uh, continue to host, produce, edit, and uh, independently, in, excuse me, independently put out this podcast each and every week here on the J Reels podcast. 
If you want to send me an email, of course, the jreelspodcast at gmail.com. My social media accounts, jreels on Instagram, jreels1, just the number, Twitter, as well as the jreels podcast on Facebook. And we all know Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, spread the word, leave a rating, post a review. Please continue to do that as your uh, participation is not only gratefully needed, but it's uh, widely accepted by yours truly as I uh, continue to deliver everything that's going on in the world of sports. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy NBA opening night, opening week here on the J Reels Podcast. And until then, everybody, on the flip, baby.